0: It was a dark, cold autumn night, just three days before Halloween. It was midnight. We were at the Stanley Hotel. My middle son and my niece. We had been doing some work with the family wedding previously that Saturday. and We decided we wanted to get away and just check out the Stanley Hotel and see if it would live up to our expectations. So the only time we became available to the Stanley Hotel was at midnight. On a Saturday night, several days before Halloween. 2019 we got into the Stanley Hotel and noticed there was card reader doors so we couldn't go into it so we did what anybody else would do we snuck our way in we walked around the second floor and I could feel right away just by doing multiple house blessings and dealing with demonic stuff there was spiritual presence in that floor I looked at my son he said he felt it too my niece who was new to this she was excited we taught her about how to discern spirits I said do you feel it in your chest and she goes, feel what? Oh my God, yes, I feel that. And I go, that is spiritual discernment. That's how we detect the spirits are around us. If we were to do a house blessing at the Stanley Hotel, this is how we would be led to the rooms and the spirits. So as we did a training exercise on a midnight in the Stanley Hotel, we walked around and I taught her how the feelings in your body can actually like compass and take you to the spirits. As we walked around the place, we went to one hall that drew us, drew us stronger and stronger and stronger because we knew there was a presence inside the room. It was room 217. As we stood there in awe, I told my niece, I think there's something beyond the door that we don't want to go here beyond because we don't have the legal rights to cast something out. And as we stood there, a couple of ghost investigators came running behind us going, oh, you found the room. And we exclaimed, well, what room? Oh, room t- 217. It's the room where Stephen King stayed when he wrote The Shining. So you see, we found this place with spiritual discernment without even using our little Ghostbuster instruments all in a day's work on a midnight before Halloween at the Stanley Hotel. Welcome back, listeners, to tonight's episode of Tales of Glory. We actually made it to episode six. Woo-hoo! We still got the plug and the power on. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, tonight's episode, we're going to deal with um, the spiritual gift of spiritual discernment. Back to the ways of the warrior, right? We're going to talk a little about what the gift of discernment is. This this topic can be broad and expand quickly. I thought it was going to be a short one-hour um, discussion, but I found out I had to limit my <laughs> framework of the topic because I easily had hours of material. So for tonight, we're going to focus just mainly on spiritual discernment. There's several aspects of it. And what is spiritual discernment? How is it used? What does it look like? It's not really discussed in books. Like I said, uh, many times I keep throwing out the term, this is caught and not taught. Well, for tonight's episode, you guys are in luck. We're going to discuss a little about uh, discerning different types of spirits. And again, this falls back into the framework of mystical theology, right? God is a mystery. God is unknown. And this is the sort of stuff he just interacts with us with and he bestows upon us. So I think tonight you guys are going to enjoy this, this discussion, and let's get rolling here. Tales of Glory, The Spiritual Gift of Spiritual Discernment. A lot of information from tonight's episode I'm going to pack from my own personal experiences. I've had a lot of vast experiences through my life growing up, having to deal with um a fear of the dark for 47 years, dealing with seeing um, shadow spirits, and a lot of the mystical experiences that the Holy Spirit used to wake me up out of the the Pew of the Frozen Chosen. So those of you who have been following along with the past previous five episodes and know the canon of Tales of Glory, you know about my experiences with the the, those pews of the the Frozen Chosen, right? In the Church of Fire Insurance. So I'm going to pull from some of my past experiences. Now we know each other a little bit better um, about what's going on. And I'm going to try to share in depth of some interesting experiences from my old time at night Strike, some stuff that happened on the streets, as well as some cool things we pulled in from Deliverance Ministry about just a few things I've learned about um, spiritual discernment and what it is and what it truly looks like and what it isn't and what's running rampant to the church of like the people saying, oh, we see demons, those guys, right? Yeah, those guys. So stay tuned, go get yourself a cup of coffee or, um, you know, hot chocolate. We're we going to sit by the fireside tonight and let's do some cool discussions and let the school be open, guys. Spiritual gift of spiritual discernment. Can I get an amen from my audience? Here we go. When we interact with spirits in any way, through the Holy Spirit, these are categorized as like 5th through 7th mansion cases based on St. Teresa of Avila's classic manuscript on deep interior prayer life titled The Interior Castle. When we interact with spirits, it must be through the Holy Spirit alone, and when we interact with them, we don't communicate with them. When a situation arises, and not often, the Holy Spirit will set this up on his own, whim and free will, this is... Is a spiritual gift we never pray for or ask God for. Why? Because it's, it's a gift bestowed by God. And we'll talk about this. When this mystical experience or event occurs, it is completely a grace from God. A grace is a spiritual gift or experience. God bestows upon you simply because he wants to. It's a gift from him, right? If God bestows a mystical grace on your soul, it is very personal. Between you and God and for you and your deep prayer life with him. Right, it's this relationship. Remember, I mean, we always talk about. I'm not in a religion. I'm in a relationship. Right? You hear that? It's just like it's like nails going down a chalkboard. And I hear people say that. This is actually what we're talking about in your relationship with Jesus. Right? You have a deep interior prayer life that you know Him. We talked about this before in other podcasts. And that as you know each other, God starts doing these crazy things with you. They're called graces. Right? He just He just comes, drops in, and goes like, "Honey, I'm home." you know, and just does stuff for you. It's cool. So they're between you and God and free your deep prayer life with him. So let's examine our first case of discernment where God is interacting with us and bestowing his grace and his presence with us. So I'm someone who practices the presence of God in my daily life. This means in prayer on a daily basis, I consciously focus on bringing the reality of Jesus Christ into my life, right? This takes effort on my part where I work to bring his presence in a mystical experience, God will manifest his presence in a way I can't duplicate. I can't do this through prayer. He just shows up and he does it the way he wants. He has no rhyme or reason. He just shows up and does it. Not to be confused with the church slang. He really showed up. Um, that's not what we're talking about. I mean, just he literally, God just like you're driving down the street or something, and boom, you know, maybe not <laughs> that that day dangerous, but you, know, you could be driving, all of a sudden, he puts this incredible revelation in your mind or something. Or a cool vision or a picture of him just to show he's hanging out with you. Before I go into an experience of mine with God's presence, and we're going to discern it, let's go over some definitions from St. Teresa of Avila on different forms of visions. These are important here because I want to nail down what an intellectual vision actually is. Um, because we could be so dangerously all over the map with this stuff. Um, when you go off and do this stuff by yourself, and a lot of times we go sideways and we see churches do weird things because they don't get it. Um, I'm going to try to hammer it out the best I can what these are. So St. Teresa of Avila literally um, defined three different forms of visions. One's a corporeal vision. That's where I'm looking at something and you see like a full-on manifestation um, of an angelic being possibly, right? So you're sitting there like, wow, I just saw an angel come down and do something. But you saw it with your own physical eyes. You didn't see it in your mind. You saw it with your physical eyes. like It physically manifested reality. That's corporeal vision. The next one she talks about is called an imaginative vision. It's a grace where we see something with the eyes of our soul. It's an interior vision that we see in our mind. The image again is a grace from God. So these first two visions are graces from God, right? God drops them in for us. We can't pray to see angels in corporeal vision. I wouldn't dare do that. That's so dangerous. Um, and I'll explain a little bit about that later when we talk about, um, looking angelic, um, seeing angelic beings and stuff and discerning them. You don't pray for this at all. Um, you just leave it up to Jesus, and if something happens that's beyond your control or something, you know, Holy Spirit, what's going on here? Refer back to the Holy Spirit. Don't pray to ask for this stuff. Um, God's not going to put something on you you can't handle. He's just It's always going to be in such a way, it's, it's, it's a grace for him. It's between you and him. And whatever happens, it's to build you up. So let's look at the third one, an intellectual vision. This is the one we're after. It's a grace that is profound and unshakable experience with the presence of God, where it reveals he's real. He reaches deep within your heart and soul. I don't know why she calls this a vision. I think at the time, probably about the mystics back in the fifteen hundreds, um, they really didn't know how to classify this one. If you just been somewhere or in prayer and something, also you felt the unshakable presence of God. You know, it's it's, it's just a feeling. Um, it's not it's not psychosomatic because sometimes it's an energized feeling where you just feel super energized or something or. You know, there's, there's really no way to put this thing to words. It's God makes an experience with the body just can't duplicate. And that's what an intellectual vision is. But it, it's felt. It's felt in your heart and soul. And it's unshakable for the rest of your life. Um, most other little experiences we have, graces from God, we can forget them and stuff. You know, we just do. We're humans. But these are so impacting. You do not forget these. You know it was him. But they're very subtle. They're very gentle. Like, wow, that was God. So let's take a look at this. St. Teresa writes um, in her Interior Castle, Chapter 3. There is another way in which the Lord speaks to the soul, which for my own part I hold to be very certainly genuine, and that is by a kind of intellectual vision, the nature of which I will explain later. So far down the depths of the soul does this contact take place, so clearly do the words spoken by the Lord seem to be heard within the soul's own faculty of hearing, and so secretly are they uttered, that the very way in which the soul understands them, together with the effects produced by the vision itself, convinces it and makes it certain that no part in the matter is being played by the devil. The wonderful effects it produces are sufficient to make us believe this. At least one is sure that the locutions do not proceed from the imagination. And if one reflects upon it, one can easily be certain of this for the following reasons. Okay. So I'm not going to set out these reasons here. Um, We're going to look at those a little bit later. So St. Teresa documents the intellectual vision as a six mansion interior prayer life experience. As you develop prayer life, you can develop a relationship with God, like we talked about, where he graces you with feelings of his presence without you having to work for it in prayer. So again, this is something he just gives you. It's not, okay, I've achieved this in prayer life. I'm at this level of prayer. He's going to suddenly come and grace me. No, it can happen in any moment. And it's just, it's his whim. And it's it's something, it's a gift he gives you. So again, this grace is from God. And someone can experience this even when they're not living in a spiritually mature prayer life. That's what I want to get to here. I had an intellectual vision when I was in grade school, probably the fourth grade. Most Christians always ask, do you remember the day you were accepted as Jesus, your Lord and Savior, right? I was raised in a Catholic household. You know, I was from infant on, I was I was raised up that Jesus was real in the Catholic tradition. So it really wasn't anything outside defining where I had to start collecting data like some people have to, like, you know, they're they're in a different lifestyle that doesn't involve Jesus at all. He was always there. So when people ask me, like, do you remember the day you accepted Jesus, your Lord and Savior? It's like kind of like, you know, you are raised from the crib up as Jesus being your Lord and Savior. He was always the reality from the womb. Um, so so when someone asked me, you know, you know, if you're raised a Christian home, they remember the day you accepted Jesus is a bit more difficult question to answer because you're raised up pretty much knowing Jesus. What I do recall is the day when I realized his manifest presence in the form of an intellectual vision he came to me and bestowed his grace. Even before I had any solid form of prayer life, I had mental prayer with him. We conversed back and forth, but that was it. You know, I was walking to school in my elementary school and I'd have a chat with Jesus. Um, back then, I only thought the, <laughs> the Our Father prayer was for for penance, right? Because I was I was Catholics. So the only time I really, oh, you know, say five uh, Our Fathers, you'll be, um, you know, forgive him your sin. So I really didn't do the Our Fathers that much. Um Pretty much just had a mental conversation with Jesus, you know, walking back and forth to school during my day because I was alone a lot. I kind of an introvert. So I was in catechism class at Our Lady of Angels Catholic Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. Um, our, this was our family home church for in, during the 1970s. Uh, I attended my Catholicism class there. We went on a field trip one day, um, and I was part of the catechism class to the Basilica of the Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. This is a gorgeous, huge Catholic cathedral there. I kind of remember getting to a carpool. With some members of the catechism class. Um, I didn't really know any of the other students in the class. They attended my. They didn't attend my elementary school, so I didn't know anybody. So the whole experience was awkward. I remember I would have rather stayed home and go to some funky, weird old church and go with a bunch of kids I didn't know at all and be totally awkward all day. I had better things to do. So socially, I didn't know any of the other kids, only that they were in my catechism class. Um, so here I go on one Sunday. I got carpooled off Basilica on a long car ride with people I didn't really know. I probably slept all the way there. And once we arrived, there was no formal tour of the church. We all piled out of the cars. Uh, The church was large inside. It felt more like a museum when I remember it um, being just a huge, immense in size. I remember we wandered around inside and checked out the church. There were areas under construction at that time. I recall uh, we, the class, were on the upper level of church where this, this whole incident takes place. We walked through a hallway, and there was a small chamber to one side. It wasn't well lit. But on the other side of the chamber, I believe was a balcony that overlooked the sanctuary below. So all the kids, you know, made our way over to this uh, balcony and looked over and glanced down at the immense area of seating and pews below. The catechism teacher then heard us out of there when she was done. You know, we, you know, we got our fill to the car, Carl Griswold? you know, did our nod and left and back through the smaller um, interconnecting chamber. We returned to the hallway we entered from and to move on to the next scene or the uh, site in the church. We all strayed out off to the next place, the church. And as we exited the the dark chamber, I felt strongly compelled to turn around and go back into that room. At first, I thought my intention was to sneak back to the balcony for another look, right? Kind of a little snarky as a kid there, a little stinker. But that wasn't it. That wasn't why I was returning. As the kids left, I could hear them not far away. So they, they didn't, they weren't too far away. I could still catch up with them. I felt at that moment overcome by a presence. It was subtle yet powerful. I could feel the presence of someone with me. At first, I thought it was a ghost possibly about to get freaked. but I had this overwhelming calmness about me. No fear and strange feeling, revelation of the unknown, you know? So no thoughts, just a calm, powerful sensation. I was in the presence of something supernatural. I felt as if I was in the presence of possibly an angel. My attitude in this trip, you know, from being dulzy and blah, suddenly shifted. I had this weird inner understanding of a mysterious knowing that God was real. It was very sudden it was unshakable i knew that what i felt and i still can't put in the words right there's there's no way to put these in the words that's what's going on with the body the mind of the thoughts it's instantaneous as our trip concluded we were of course shuffled out to the lower gift shop it was a weird feeling in the gift shop i was pretty jacked up and ecstatic about jesus i i looked at the crucifixes they had for sale in the gift shop and all that raced in my mind and my head was jesus you're real it was just like it's like these things are just glowing this weird you know it was strange um not physically, but it's like metaphorically or something inside my heart. It's just, it was, it's like, wow, this is real. I remember a long ride home too from Basilica. I kept reflecting on the fact that Jesus is real. All I can say is that the feeling was unshakable. I don't remember a lot of things about my elementary school career there, but I do remember this grace from God. And the moment I was caught up in his experience with me in my, I'm in my fifties now. And I remember that moment. It was the time Jesus came to me and revealed to me that he was real. I was probably 11 years old fourth grade probably i thought for the longest time nearly four years after that it was an angelic encounter but in my recent experiences in the last 10 years or so with god i mean from my late 40s on i knew the experience of basilica was an intellectual vision of jesus it was him um, he graced me feel his presence and i was just a child now let's discern this through st Teresa Abla's filters on intellectual visions which are an encounter with god He arranged to have with us at his will so number one the general locution, which is a direct messenger or personal revelation, is so clear that even if it consists of a long exhortation, the hearer notices the omission of a single syllable. But the locutions sort were of carefully fanciful by the imagination of the voice will be less clear and the words less distinct. They will be like something heard in half a dream. So a locution in mystical theology is a messenger personal revelation. My personal revelation from Jesus was that he was real. Um, Jesus was validating my belief in him through a mystical encounter. So number two, the voice comes unexpectedly and often refers to things which one never thought would or could happen, so the imagination cannot possibly have invented them. In genuine locutions, the soul seems to be hearing something, where in locutions invented by the imagination, someone seems to be composing it bit by bit, what the soul wishes to hear. So the experience was sudden and unexpected I had, right? It was subtly summoned, conviction of the Holy Spirit, back into the area of for the experience, even though I didn't understand why or for what, right? So this was sudden. So I'm drawn back in the area. It wasn't something in my mind or what to do. I was just following the other kids out. And all of a sudden I was summoned back by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So number three, from St. Teresa, in a genuine locution, one single word may contain a world of meaning, such as the understanding alone one can ever put rapidly into language. Right? She's just saying that you're overwhelmed by this mystery, mystery of God. You can't even put it in the words. So the experience cannot be described in words, but the message was certain. That's what she's saying here, right? So that's what I experienced. I can't put the whole thing in the words. I I knew it was God, you know, and there was no verbal words exchange. It was the experience itself that left the message that this was God and he was real. So four, in a genuine locution, not only can words be heard, but in a way which I shall never be able to explain, much more can be understood than the words themselves convey. So, in my experience, I understood more through the revelation ecstasy of his presence than could have ever been conveyed in words. Saint John of the Cross calls this experience dark knowing. So, God shares a mystery with you, and this experience stay with me to this day. And when I pray, or I'm in place of intense warfare, I can feel his presence, and I know what the presence feels like because of that experience. Right? Um, I didn't really need that experience to understand today what what it feels like, but going backwards when practices practiced his presence and it came in, oh my gosh, that was Jesus back then. So the, the, the dots connect back and forth. Um, I want to make concluding comments here as I wrap up this testimony. I was a child when God graced me with this. So why did he bestow this grace? I don't know. I do believe it was significant for me later in life. In my late 40s, I overcame my unhealthy fear of the dark. If you never experienced something like this, like a, a, an intellectual vision, it's because it was meant for me. So, you know, a lot of people are going, well, I have an experience like Mike had. You don't, you don't need to. This was meant especially for me. This was a, this was between me and God. This is our relationship. So, God has things he wants to share with you and he, for you and him. So, don't go wanting what he has for me, you know, for you. Can you, you have a cooler experience? Or sometimes, you know, sometimes it's like sitting quiet with some people. You know, maybe how he interacts with you. Like, just hang, like, hanging there being quiet. So, you can live an incredible, godly life and have no experiences like this whatsoever. That's Okay. You can also develop a deep prayer life, a relationship with Jesus Christ, and have your own deep personal experience of him and him alone. It's all about Jesus, not about the experiences, guys. Um, I have some deep warfare battles that no one should wish to be involved in. I hear people do that. I want to do what you do. No, you don't. <laughs> I don't even want, wish you guys to be ministering some of this stuff. Some of these battles are so dark. Feeling his presence the only thing keeping me in the fight sometimes, or sane for that matter. These are deep, intense battles. And sometimes all I got in the midst of battle is his presence, right? Even the well shaken to the bone. All I have left with his presence to lift me back up and keep fighting. So that wraps up just a simple one of uh, an intellectual vision. What does it feel like to feel God's presence? That was my first one. How do you know he's there? It's just, it, it's, it's, it's hard to put into words. I had an experience. Um, during my night strike days, every now that then we have these um, short term mission trips over like Easter or something. And these um, seminary students from colleges would come out and go onto the streets like uh, um, Haight Ashbury with us. There was a lot of Satanism out there at the time. And we encountered a deliverance and it just shook two of the girls their bones. I remember with me, we were staying there as this lady full on manifested. And what was interesting was their walk away was from that whole thing. You know, it was the first thing they saw something demonic was. Just the the utter protection and power they felt of the presence of the Holy Spirit overshadowing them, it was tangible. You go, wow, I could totally feel that. You know, it was it was it's like, yeah, it's just these experiences that God makes His presence real, and you discern it in the middle of battle and warfare. You can feel who's Him and who's not. Um, it's just good to have a prayer life and just discern these things. You know, it's it's hard to put the words, and a lot of times you should probably um, speak with somebody about it. Don't go off and learn these on your own. If you have some experience, share it with somebody especially a pastor or something. And maybe somebody else that's had these, who can help you along and, and talk to them about it. Cause it's, a lot of times I've seen people just go off the deep end, they'll go and pray for stuff and the soul just tell them stuff and it's not God doing it. So it just, it just takes some discernment here on what's really going on with these events. So um, that's the first case I want to wrap up with was um, real quick was what is it like to discern God? It's just, it's, 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 he's overwhelming. There's no shaking him and there's always fruits from it. Like I said, that's, this was a piece that helped me later on not to be afraid of the dark because I could feel Jesus when he felt like um, just to be a part of me. So let's move on to angelic experiences. And now a word from our sponsor. M16 ministries training series. Yes. This is the series that keeps the lights on the M16 bunker. Hey, If you're a spiritual warrior and you're any but serious in your prayer warfare and you're dealing with um, supernatural, you're dealing with hauntings, you're dealing with blessing houses, tainting objects, you're dealing with, you know, full-scale demonic oppression, the occult, you have to get your hands on these books. These are the only books out there like this that I know of that train people to walk in their authority. Again, spiritual authority is caught and not taught. You're not going to learn through these little conferences and these things that, that you have. You read these formulated, basically what they are is like church for doing their rituals. They're, they're rituals. They're rites. They, uh, you do this, this, is this. They're formulas. A formula is a right. It's a ritual. When you're dealing with the supernatural, there is no methodology. You have to know where you walk in your spiritual authority, hands down. That's it in the battle. So if you want to learn to walk in your spiritual authority and, and get trained up in it, a Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare, um, M16 Ministries Field Guide Training Series are what you guys got to get your hands on. The first book I wrote 10 years ago, A Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare, The Power to Pull the Impossible from the Heavenly Realm, written in 2010. And I work with people who deal with hauntings or they have some occult stuff going on. Um, this is the go to book. I send it out to them and tell them, look, you know, go through this. And they're always excited, like, wow, where was this material? It wasn't in church. That's right, it wasn't because it was pulled from the trenches. It's all biblical. Because when you see the biblical side and what scriptures and stuff you have to use against this stuff, you get trained know-how, your authority light bulb goes on. I call it the aha moment. Aha! I have authority. You need to learn this. Pastors, you're dealing with um, high-level stuff, the occult, demonic possession, or you're dealing with satanic ritual abuse in your church. You've come across it. What, what gives? You need to get a field guide to advance spiritual warfare, deliverance, exorcism, and healing the effects of ritual abuse. And these books are available on a field guide to warfare.blogspot.com. Just follow the button links on the side panels here. And yeah, please, I encourage you. We we spent the time to write these books, get the information out. These are the books I actually wrote for myself. If I had to go back in time, go, hey, when I was dealing with this stuff, is there any good information out here besides all this cookie-cut sermon stuff? That was just popular and just flooding, flooding deliverance books. Look, look, they're all one written one after the other. Look, all the same, they're cookie cut. This is not a cookie cut book. This one's different. Why? Because it's written by somebody who was in the trenches of warfare. So get your hands on these books. Thank you. And now back to our regular scheduled programming. So let's move along to discerning angelic spirits. Let's have a little disclaimer or a word of advice here. A very big false teaching out there in charismatic circles right now is that we partner with angels. I want to make a distinction here between the false teaching and a biblical aspect of teaching with angels. It's going it to get us in a lot of deep trouble, horrible trouble. So, rule number one is the heavens belong to Jesus. Psalm one fifteen verse sixteen. The heavens are the Lord's, but the earth He has given to the human race. We stay out of the heavens, which means we don't instruct angels and we don't interact with them as if we were in a heavenly position, right? We're lesser than angels. We see from Hebrews 2 7 that when Jesus became incarnate, He entered in this world as a man, a spiritual creature lower than God's angels. Hebrews 2 7. You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with the glory and honor. So, Jesus was both God and both man incarnate, but in the spiritual body, you know, we had we're embodied spirits here as man, he stepped down into our domain, which was lower than angels. And that's the point we want to make here. So mankind is not to partner with angels and directing them in prayer, right? As John Paul Jackson made a cool comment, to do so would be to acting in pride right? So if you're telling God, you know, I want you to send angels here, put angels over there, protect this region. Um, you're acting in pride because you're you're usurping God's commands. You're not, but you think you are, right? If you're telling God what to do, if you think about it, God knows what to do with his messengers. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He's, he's all thinking, right? You don't need to tell him what to do with angels. He knows. So angels, both good and evil, belong to God alone to command. Keep that in mind, especially in prayers. We interact with angels by doing the will of the Father, right? Jesus taught us this, and following what Jesus and the Holy Spirit are doing in a situation. Remember, Jesus only prayed what the Father willed. This is how we partner with angels, by praying into what the will of the Father is, right? We're going to follow and sense and be discerning what the Heavenly Father is doing. And as we see what he's doing, we're going to pray into his will to be executed and for that to be come to fruition. So furthermore... Angels don't interact with us unless God specifically directs them to interact with us, right? It just doesn't happen that way. They're they're on a total uh, spiritual realm, not in ours, and it's God alone who directs them. This, again, is mystical theology. God wants us to receive a message from an angel. It will be his bidding and his bidding alone, not because somebody prayed to do so or something. God is aware of situations. He's he knows all powerful, right? He's omnipotent. He knows everything. We don't need to tell him what to do. He's going to direct his angels and he's going to do a better job than we ever could. So we don't pray to ask to see angels either. Um, early on, when I was working with um night strike teams and I was working with Bob Johnson, um, I'd give some testimonies of stuff like uh we had angelic encounters like during night strike in the streets, of San Francisco with homeless, right? We're in, we're in some horrible neighborhoods when this happened, right? It's the book of acts stuff. And people walk up to me later and goes, I want, I want you to pray over me. And, and you know, I want you to see, want to see angels like you do. And it's like, no, I can't do that. Um, Some of the things I saw came at a cost too, right? I don't want to go into that story yet, but it's, you know, it's just, God just didn't suddenly reveal, Hey, I'm going to let Mike see angels. There was stuff that happened beforehand. A lot of dealing with the demonic and stuff too, which you don't want to see, right? It's just, God's going to give you the gifting he needs for you to do what he needs you to do in this life. So, if you are going to see angels, you know I think everybody has somewhere, and you know, based on my experience, I think we all have. And I'll, I'll cover that in a minute. But we don't pray to see angels, right? It's just not a good idea. So, God won't respond to our prayers, right? For um, hey, I want to see angels because it's a mystical experience. But if we pray to ask for prayers and invite something in, we can very well invite in false angels of light, right? Um, we know from Second Corinthians eleven fourteen. And no wonder, where Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so he could send in the demonic or whoever. Something else may answer that prayer. So be very careful. Um, it's, it's called stepping out of your covering or stepping out of your dominion. Um, God will allow us to do this. You know, he, we know better. It's it's a, a pride and a desire thing. I want a desire to see angels. You know, it's it's you know we live in His spiritual realm. You know, we're encompassed in it. And like I said, we all have at one point or another, maybe with some of the stories I'll give you later will help you click on like, Oh my gosh, I think I did see an angel. And it's just what it is. You know, it's still a mystery. He's not going to give us 100% on what this is, but I want to stress how subtle these experiences are and specifically target at spiritually edifying the recipient, right? There's a reason these angels encounter us. There's something going on here. You know, it's, it's, it's all part of God's plan. That's what he's, that's what he's executing. So let's look at God's messengers. Even though we don't direct or partner with angels in the charismatic vernacular, scripture tells us that we can encounter angels, right? The epistles of Paul seem to indicate this too. My point that most angelic experiences will be subtle. Paul points it out as well. Not like on television shows where there's an orange glow over the angels' heads, right? When we see the little white wings and, you know, a little harp and stuff. That's the Hollywood version or the kind of like, I don't know, the folklore version of an angelic being. That's not typically what we see. We can see angelic creatures too. Um, I'm not gonna cover that here, but you know, it's just, whenever it happens, it's like subtle, like, Whoa, where'd that come from? You know, it's just a dropped in. It's very subtle how mystical experiences work. So Hebrews 13, two don't neglect to show hospitality for by doing this. Some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Right? So angels can interact and move among us. So what's this saying? Angels can take on solid form. I know God's messengers can, and I'll get to this in a minute. The apostle Paul indicates that angelic can move about, interact with us without us even knowing about them. Okay. It's very subtle. If they look like human beings and they pass right by us. You know, it's maybe not encounter, but they're here with us. They, they, they're doing God's will and doing stuff. I've had a few encounters with God's messengers through ministry and with God trying to prepare me for the road ahead. Quite a few of my angelic encounters happened when I was still in the front row of the church of the frozen chosen. Remember we talked about this? Doing all the right things but I wasn't really on fire about God. You know, I was there for the fire insurance. Protect me from hell. So again, mystical experiences, not based on your righteousness. My experiences were to jumpstart me out of the spirit of fear of the dark, which was a demonic stronghold that was over me. Satan cannot outmaneuver God. So the Holy Spirit gave me a spiritual gift of warfare that he fully intended me to use. I was not in some diabolic stasis, right? The Holy Spirit was going to give me the swift kicks in the butt to thaw me out of the church of the frozen chosen. And he did. A few of those were with angelic encounters. They're very subtle. And, you know, imagine being in the church of the frozen chosen. You can't process this stuff, you know, properly from that perspective, but only that you know, like, wow, that was weird and I think that was an angel. You know, it's just there's some discernment here. One of my early on experiences, I had quite a few of these where God was just showing up doing crazy things. Like I said, he just shows up. He he doesn't tell him, like, hey, I'm going to meet you at this point in time. You know, here we go. I had a weird angelic encounter at Burger King. I used to, you know, be addicted to my diet sodas, you know, I go buy went Burger King all the time here. And this is about probably pre-night strike days. I think it's about two years prior. It could be about 2005 maybe, where God was trying to wake me up with the frozen chosen. I went to a Burger King and it was only one other person there. And was there's this guy. He was this had this long flowing hair. Very muscular, but it was more like the he looked like an old like Viking warrior. He <laughs> was uh, like this brown hair, brown eyes, you know, and he had like these um sweatbands on but you know everything was metaphorically like he was a warrior standing there and i didn't pay much attention to him because you know it just i thought okay it's another customer there just me and he walks over to me and he taps me on the shoulder and i looked at him and i just felt something weird like oh my god i know you like i deeply know you i don't <laughs> i don't know who you are but i know you it's so the, the sensation i had like it was i was searching through my my own brain database like is this somebody i know from high school why do i recognize him but I want you to keep this weird look like he had a football jersey on. It, like, it was like um, he had the, the earthly version of warrior clothes for the time. It was just crazy. And some jeans on. And he goes, um, I need you to take me somewhere. And I don't take strangers anywhere. But the strong sense I had me, I knew this guy. And it was like a strong pull. He was like, okay, um, yeah, let me get my soda. Let's go. And so when I got in the car, I remember there was heavy rock music station on at the time, local San Jose rock station. I listened to, you know, wasn't wasn't too part of the Christian lifestyle. So immediately I flipped it to something else, this real fast off the station. I don't know why I did this, right? Why would I offend this guy? This guy looked like he was um, you know, he's probably a rocker too, he had long flowing hair and uh the long beard and stuff. It's like, well, he probably liked rock music too, but you know, for some reason I had to change the station. And then some weird pop music comes on. I can't remember. I swear to God that God overrode this this the radio, and it was like this weird um pop music thing song about um, the importance of marriage came on and I'm going, what on earth is this? And this guy starts singing to it and he had a beautiful voice. I'm going, this is getting crazier and crazier. And it was just a weird encounter. Like something really is off here. What is this guy? What's going on? And he has me pull over about a mile down the road. And I swear the drive felt like it was 20 minutes. I didn't know what the heck was going on, but it was just like this. I don't know. It was just in his presence. It was a weird experience. And about a mile down the road, I let him out. As he got out, I go, "Oh my God, that was an angel!" And you just felt it—you felt it in your spirit, you felt it everywhere else. And I'm not these type of people that go around looking for these weird experiences, right? It was just—it shook me. I still remember this experience to this day. I knew for a fact he was an angel. The the encounter was so weird. It was—I um, don't know how to explain it. This—the the feeling in your mind and body and spirit. It's more feeling your spirit that this—this this was angelic. This guy was from God, and it's just. It's just a weird experience over space and time. It's just, it's just, it's, you can't shake it. You still remember it for like years from now. I still remember this guy's face. Don't remember the Burger King or the person behind the the counter took my order. I just remember this guy with the long flowing brown hair, you know, and who could sing incredibly. I don't know, I wish I remember what the pop song was, the lyrics, but I knew it exists nowhere. It came from heaven. It was, a, it was just a crazy experience. I think this whole thing was the Holy Spirit kicking me in the pants to wake up out of the spirit of fear because I dealt with some stuff where I was seeing um, shadows and stuff in the dark. And one of the things I walked away with after this, I go, oh my God, if God can create angels that can fully manifest in human form, then there's more p- firepower here than these these demonic spirits that can only be shadows, right? So that was my walk away. So it was actually fruit from that. It was the initial process that kicked me out of my spirit of fear for spiritual warfare. It was just a little uh you know, nod from God, like, okay, here we go. We gotta wake this guy up. So it's they're they're interesting, but they're subtle. You know, they're not like, oh, here we come. Um, so you kind of look at like, you know, how Lot interacted with the angels. He knew something was up with these guys, right? He knew it. And he was bowing down or something. It was just this weird sense like you guys aren't from around here, but they're angelic, they're not aliens, <laughs> not space people. You just just you just felt that the, there was a power behind them or something that they, they weren't from this realm. It's incredible. Another interesting encounter I had was at Night Strike, and this was crazy. So Night Strike is a homeless ministry that I later took over seven years later from Bob Johnson as he moved on to some other stuff. It was a homeless ministry in, in um, San, the city of San Francisco, and we had teams that went out. It was a crazy thing stuff we did. You know, prayed for healing, prayed for homeless people. And just, you know, we were in the worst neighborhoods at night on a Friday nights in a Tenderloin. This is a very bad place. It's like murders happening left and right, that place. And, you know, gang warfare and and just being robbed. It's not a, a place for Christians to walk around and be safe at. We eventually conquered that, that region. But during that time, my very first night strike, God was trying to show me that, again, he wanted to kick me in the butt about what spiritual warfare was. I had not a clue in my church what deliverance ministry was. It was never taught. And so the very first night I'm without these, um so some of you old night strike people out there, I was out with Wayne and Diane. And I remember these two people were phenomenal deliverance ministers, but I didn't know what it was. I learned, you know, I, God gave me the opportunity of being on Diane's team the very first night out. And like within 15 minutes of walking in the streets, we came across this lady who was, um, you know, purchasing drugs, doing a sale or whatever the heck she was doing. And we approached her and offered her some hot soup to have. because was a, a, you know, kind of a wet misty night, February night. As we, she said, sure, we can pray for her. And we took her cross street to, to pray for her. And all of a sudden she started manifesting. Her eyes just kind of went <laughs> crazy. And she fell to the ground. And then there's this this spirit of rejection, of the Holy Spirit started screaming at us, like, get away from me. You guys are raping me. And we're going, what on earth? I'm trying to figure out what the heck's going on. And um, I reached down just to lay hands on this woman, and she just the spirit can't looked at me with this horrible hatred look in her face, says, get your hands the f away from me. You're burning me. I'm going. What on earth is going on here? And of course, I'm falling back to some of my. I wasn't totally asleep in the scriptures. I knew from the Book of Acts and you know from the Gospels that you can cast out demons. So I'm working with this lady who's very experienced, Diane, and casting out demons. And there was another guy with me, Mark Schlesinger, I think it was his name. Um, he was from a local church there too. That was from. I'm not sure if that was his first night, but he was being brought into deliverance as well. And so we we're both praying, looking at each other, like, "Oh my God, what's going on here?" But what tripped me out was a demon wouldn't leave. And I remember Diane saying that this was a spirit of rejection of the Holy Spirit. So it's not going to leave. So I was kind of bummed, like, wow, I thought these things were supposed to leave like this. And it kind of freaked me out. And I was just, there was just this heavy heart in me that this woman can be set free. And so, so we're walking on and just ministering to other homeless people. And my heart was just down the dumps. Like, my gosh, I can't believe this didn't go. I am, you know what's God trying to show me here. And we went to this one area, and we were praying for these people. And um, this one black woman walks up to me, and she's too nicely dressed for the area we were in, very nicely dressed. And the, the odd thing was why I no- recognized this black woman was because she was dressed exactly like my grandmother as she would go to um, church in um, the Haight-Ashbury district. There's a church out there, Catholic church. And I remember in the 70s, she used to have this leopard skin little hat, um, her white gloves, her like this felt green um, coat. And the dress, and I swear this black woman was dressed clone of my grandmother. And I'm going, this is just odd. So I walked over to see her because it just it just tripped me my way. That's my grandma. <laughs> it was a black woman. And as I prayed for her, I touched her hand. I got that same, here it comes again, that same feeling I had back with that guy back at Burger King, right? It's just instantaneous. And I had this like, it was a mystical experience because she gave me the dark knowing, right? The The, the message came across me was, don't worry about this deliverance. We're out here too. Okay. So it was like she was, there was another string of reinforcements out there to help this woman. It just, it shocked me to the core, you know? And I, I remember telling my dad this about um, a few months later, I actually went through my first exorcism. My dad caught like You're doing exorcisms. What's going on? You know? And I, I told him about this story and it just shook him to the core too. That was his grandmother. And it was his mother, his mom, this, this angel is dressed like his mom. Cause when I described what she was dressed in, there's no way. No way. It was to the T his mother, the way he, she used to go to her Catholic church, uh, in the Asbury district. So it's phenomenal stuff like that. We see angels in the streets, right? Those are my two cases where I see the angelic in full solid form as human beings. You can touch them. You can drive them somewhere. They were full on like human beings and they can do this. God's messengers have the power to do this. It's amazing. Another story. Um, we we're doing a house deliverance. Um, so. A few years later, down the road, Night Strike, I started developing my spiritual warfare skills on the streets, right? In the city of San Francisco, right? A lot of Satanism's out there, a lot of witchcraft. Um, so, side things started happening. Right? I started helping out people, um, like bringing them over to my house to deliverance ministry. And I usually invite some of my Night Strike team members over. And I had this one young woman named Katie, part of Night Strike. She came over to our house, and we were praying for this one woman and I remember looking up, it was in my house, you know, so this lady sitting on our couch, Katie's praying over her. I'm I'm praying over this woman. I look up and I see my son, my oldest son, laying hands on this woman. And I thought, wow, when did he come downstairs, you know, <laughs> to come do ministry? You know, that was the way our house was, right? Deliverance, come on, let's come down and pray. So I saw him stand there, well, that's kind of cool. And about five seconds later, I looked up again, he was gone. I go, wow, he must have ran off. When I realized there, it was just a... An angelic manifestation. I couldn't tell if it was solid form, or it was just there. And like the like, did it happen through you know, like a, uh, the eyes of the soul, or was it a full manifestation? I couldn't tell. And I asked Katie later. Was 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 my son down here with you praying? He goes no, I never saw him. And I go, Katie, I fully saw him, laying hands on, on on this woman we were praying for. And she goes, that's crazy. You know, I, I saw him. I knew what I saw. It wasn't just you know poor eyesight because we were right there and you know, were in the middle of it. Look up, see your son praying. It's crazy. So there was an angelic manifestation there. This this angel showed up, prayed, laid hands on her. So one more. There's another interesting encounter we had. I'm just going to go over the, the map here about what the discernment looks like. So discernment, when my I felt like my son showed up, it was just, like I said, it was subtle. There was nothing off the, the hook, like alarms going on in the body, you know, the, the hair going back in your neck. It's just like, oh, that was an angel, right? It's very subtle. We, you know, he was in, he was out. It's kind of cool. house where this was taking place at. It was quite often we see like men standing at attention in different parts of the house. And you see by the corner of your eye and they disappear real fast. You know, it just, I, I knew there were the angelic um, guardians there. So it was crazy. So I don't know if this one chose to <laughs> come as my son to the, the stand there and pray or, or deflect something that was manifesting that woman. I don't know. Like I said, there's there's more questions or answers when these occur. So the, another cool one I had, I want to share with you guys, I'll move on to satanic angels. This particular angelic. Encounter preceded um, a deliverance session where I was working with a woman. We were at a deliverance ministry place um, where these people came and get deliverance and we're in this one back room. And for some reason, this woman had anger towards the heavenly father as well as her earthly father. So this typically happens. So when women don't really, you know, aren't too keen about their heavenly father, they really can't connect the heavenly the heavenly father at all. So during this deliverance, the spirits were manifesting with this woman. And as I was praying and binding from behind me, I just felt this whim in my body. I had to kneel and bow quickly. And the words were, he's here. And I knew that he's here meant the father in heaven was here. I don't know, you know, (laughs) these mystical things. So as I went down to the ground, kneeled and bowed, I remember this demon screaming, no. And this woman got literally pushed back to the wall. (laughs) Nobody's doing it. And like, oh my gosh, you know, it, it was like this procession of angelic, um, you know, army or something where it was, it came to finish off this deliverance. And I think like the father in heaven made his presence there because after these things were pushed out, it's like, she just like sat with him in that room and it was just crazy. You know, it's a, these are mystical experiences, you know, you're there to witness these things. And like, like I said, they, 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 offer up more questions and answers. They rarely have any answers, but the discernment there was, I felt this manifestation of good angels coming, you know, and then all of a sudden I felt that like the like the, the intellectual um, vision of the, the presence of the, the father in heaven, you know, so it's, was it him? I don't know. I just know it was God that was coming, but I pretty much felt like it was the father in heaven that came to just be with this woman or took her up and, and, and held her. I don't know, but it's just, that's what happens. We deal with these angelic spirits. I don't ask for it. That's what I'm saying. They just show up. They do what they want and they leave. And that's the way we partner with angels. I'm in the middle of combat. I'm doing what God wants me to do. If angels show up, they show up. And if they do, I don't direct them. And we'll talk about a little bit about this a little bit here with satanic angels and the dangers you can get yourself into. I know ministers that, that had some horrible stuff happen because they partnered with angels. I'll share those here. So let's move on. Satanic angels. What happens now when we're no longer dealing with God's messengers, but we're dealing with fallen satanic angels? This is a whole different ball game. As I mentioned, if you're following a few other podcasts, I talk about that. There's some charismatic beliefs here that you can go sharpen your iron in the second heaven. We're talking about the second heaven. We're talking about the realm of satanic angels, um, the principalities, you know, the, the forces of darkness, the rulers, um, the celestial beings. These all went to reside in the second heaven when they lost the battle, and they were cast out of heaven. This is where the one third went. The one third being the higher level angels, and the demonic, low level angels were pretty much cast down earth here. You know, I call them the grunt soldiers, the foot soldiers. So when we're dealing with satanic angels, the only time you should be discerning satanic angels is when you're doing something that's involved in the occult. You're trying to resolve it. This is not deliverance ministry. This is higher up in the food chain. This is Mark 929 ministry and it's petitioning prayer. We have no authority here because we're lesser than angels. So I don't care what these charismatic teachers are teaching you like, hey, you want to learn warfare? You go sharp iron, second heaven. That is the most dangerous thing that could be suggested. And we'll point out a few reasons why here. But like I said, I want to not focus on the warfare here, but I want to focus on some of my encounters we had with satanic angels. These guys are nasty. You don't mess with them. Even if you accidentally step in your domain, they're just going to smack on you. Remember, no weapon formed against you will prosper. But these guys can throw higher level stuff at you than demons can. And it's not fun to have these um, incoming flaming rocks thrown at you, right? These these are high level stuff. So one interesting thing i like to cover here is um, when I was doing my night strike ministry, of course, we're in a tenderloin in San Francisco. And off Polk Street were a lot of the strip clubs. And there was one major strip club I never really kind of noticed. I always walked by it because the back of the building always had whale paintings and stuff on it. But every time I approached from the whale side, I never really realized I was coming up until you got the front of the street that it was a strip club. But from the back, it's like this pretty like aquatic killer whales and stuff, you know, orcas like, oh, how beautiful, how very organic, you know. But as you approach the building, you start feeling like, oh, this feels horrible. I don't know what's going on here. You just felt it in the spirit, something nasty going on. And you turned the corner, of course, it was the Mitchell Brothers strip club. Now, who are the Mitchell brothers? They're the guys that, um, pretty much fired up pornography back in the 1970s here in San Francisco. They brought into frame, um, like Marilyn Chambers, um, you know, and, and, movies like that, Beyond the Green Door. This was these guys. And these guys have a heavy satanic curse on them. You follow the news. They, they, I think the, one of the brother, they shot each other in a fight. Um, one of the brother's sons committed suicide. And going in this building, it's just, ick. I worked with a team out of Bethel. It was a woman that was a, a former um, stripper became a minister, and she wanted to go in and start rescuing some of these women that were in these these strip clubs. So, me know in the streets, me know in the regional spirits. So, I thought <laughs> I, I joined her team as a spiritual um, warfare advisor, and we went to Mitchell Brothers with a team of people. We had full intercessors, full everything, everything you can imagine. We did it all right. We got inside the building. Um, the building was like it was just off the hook. It felt like you walk into a, a house that was with demonic possession occurring. And I later um, just realized afterwards that what this, this building was this strip club was, it was like, a, I don't know if you want to call it original or principality seat. It was just something over pornography. It was seated right there in San Francisco. And it's, it was, just, but the problem was we got slimed by it. We got slimed by some nasty, nasty stuff that we, we later, you know, took years for us to get off of. One of the things that had on me was, it was just destroying all the cars I owned. I knew it came back from this. A couple of times I tried to drive back to that ministry on Friday nights with night strike that were geared towards going to Mitchell Brothers. Um, it took out my motor. My car, a fairly new car. a really nice car. It was a Dodge SRT4 um, performance car. And just never any problems with it until this, this, this ministry came up. And these satanic angel just trashing this car. you know, So I couldn't get a new ministry of these women. Later we backed off and we figured out we really didn't have the covering to go in that place. But as the ministry kind of grew with this woman, she eventually moved off to another state and they went to these other places and she developed her uh, her covering for there. And they eventually pulled out a lot of women out of strip club ministry and trafficking, which was great. So it's just, you know, but I just remember this day that when we go into a satanic angel place and just walk in by accident, you're there to minister and you catch it. It's, it's already, you know, it's too late. Nasty stuff happens and it's not a deliverance scene where you break it off. It's just you're fasting, praying to God, break this thing off me, he help me bring resolution. My car incident finally stopped years later when Jesus provided a car for me, and the enemy wouldn't touch it. And so, you know, I'm, I'm proud of that. So I don't have these car issues anymore. And it was just—it was just a nightmare. It was just—they were just banging up. They, they, in fact, the enemy eventually destroyed that with my SRT4. And so it's just—it's stuff like that. But I remember just feeling that building inside there. It was just off the hook nasty. You know, it's—it's. It's, it wasn't just because it was—it was a place of strippers. It was because there was something very dark seated in there. And you could feel it in the walls and you could feel it there. You can almost feel it, see it in the spirit where it was sitting, you know, by the strip pole, almost like these women were like worshiping and dancing around it. And that thing was seated right in the middle of it. And that's one of the spirits of, um, um, perversion that, that's, that's rooted right there, regional spirit. and seated right there in San Francisco. And it's, you know, it's crazy stuff like that. I had another interesting, um, encounter with a, a, a spirit while doing night strike, while doing homeless ministry on the streets in a tender line. We had this interesting guy that came up to us. He's just babbling and babbling. His eyes are rolling in the back of his head. You saw the whites of his eyes. And it was funny, like his, um, I think it was his, his right arm was extended, but it was waving around like it was the tail or stinger of a scorpion, right? <laughs> some crazy stuff you see here. So my son was with me and uh, um, I wasn't leading night strike that night. I was still fairly new, It was like probably my first couple of months. And there was actually a team there from that was regular participants. They were a, a community church out in the Central Valley. And I remember one of the women being the pastor's wife there. It was kind of funny. Back in this era, it was like probably 2007, you know, where, where Barlow Girl was popular. And all these young women from um, church had the Barlow Girl haircut, if you remember what I'm talking about. And so this young pastor's wife had one. And she was out with us. And we saw this guy. And she started freaking out. She could feel this guy from the street just emanating whatever the heck it was. My son and I being new to spiritual warfare, we thought, oh, we'll just go cast this demon out like deliverance, right? We didn't know about Mark nine twenty nine 29 ministry. But what was interesting was this was a setup by the Holy Spirit for God and my son to encounter a satanic angel in a safe manner nothing happening. It's like God arranged that encounter. So we're sitting here trying to do our best. Bob Larson, right? Nothing's working. It's just, it's just not working. And so I'm asking my son, like, can you just discern what this guy's name is? Maybe if we get his name, we have it come up. And my son, my oldest son says, well, I th- I'm getting discerning the name Philip. We're going Philip. And he goes, nope, name wasn't Philip. So, okay, that was odd. Why was doing that? And then this, this thing looks at me and it just, I felt the overwhelming power of this thing. It was not a demon. It was a satanic angel. And I, I didn't find out till much later when God talked to me about it. It was an angel judgment because how much power I felt come out of this thing. It was an angel judgment in waiting for San Francisco. And it actually gave me its name. I didn't figure it out later. I never, I'm not going to show the name here because it's something high up but it is a angel judgment and it was there waiting God's instructions. You know, if that city doesn't repent. You know, it, I know there's a lot of good workers in there right now. There's a lot of Christianity moving in that, that city. It's, it's actually done a big shift since I started working back in 2006, uh, you know, 2006. We have a uh, pastor, Evan Prosser with his homeless ministry out there too, just doing a marvelous job. And a lot of other churches too. So things are turning around, but there is an angel judgment there. You know, this, this, this stuff going on a lot of churches are inviting in this darkness this jezebel spirit of sexual perversion into their churches and there's an angel of judgment waiting there for these guys whether they wake up or not and i was just freaked out because how this encounter ended was of course my son said um i detected the name philip so that's what my son said and we kind of backed off there's nothing to do with this guy so was you know he walked off and went past us with a little arm flailing around like a scorpion we walked him go past us and i'm kind of Pointing out some stuff like a good instructor to my son, like "Look at this! Look at that! Look what he's doing!" It he was a demon. And as we stopped and turned around, the guy had teleported right in front of us. Okay, so we're looking one way. We turn around 180 degrees to walk up the street and do some more ministry. And there's a the guy walking down the street towards us. We turn around, and the guy was gone the other direction. He was. There was no way. There was no way. He was about 100 feet away from us when we we turned around. And there he was about 20 feet away from us again. Now, the, it was interesting why I bring up the pastor's wife and the, the the kids from the community church, they never came back. They were regulars to night strike, and that freaked him out so bad watching his teleportation happen. They never came back. And then we later figured out that the, the name my son got, Philip, was a mockery of Philip in the Bible. What did Philip do? He, he did the teleportation thing, right? He jumped from one place to another. And so it's just interesting to see this stuff. But what I felt was like magnitude off the charts that this thing could destroy me, this thing could follow me home, this thing could do whatever it wanted. But at the same time, I felt the power of the Holy Spirit. I also felt the presence of some weird angelic spirit behind me. It was it was huge, like, like 20 feet tall, and it was a good angelic spirit. And it was like the thing behind me by the Holy Spirit and him enforcing, like, you don't touch Mike, you don't touch his son, you don't touch his group. You're here because... It classes open for these people for these 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 um, ministers so that was one of the most amazing things I walked away with I saw that guy one more time again I tried to deliver him because I didn't really fully grasp what happened a lot of times revelation comes over time and over time as God spoke to me and God did things and I actually realized what that name was that angel gave me I didn't realize oh my god it was an angel of judgment and God was revealing it to me so we do have encounters like that where God will protect you but the important thing is, no matter how freaky it is, like I pointed out earlier about how those girls we worked with in um, Heat Ashbury from that uh, seminary school, how they felt just the power of the Holy Spirit circulating through them—you just, you just feel it. It's, it's, it's it's manifesting that this thing can't hurt you. And that's one of the most important things you need to discern too: is what you know, what are you feeling? Is it you know, is the Holy Spirit protecting you? Are you covered by Him. If not, you know, exit that place. Don't be around it because satanic angels are a lot different from demons. We don't have authority over them. So it's just, you know, we've had other experiences too. I had through the, um, many more through the um, occult survivors, but I don't want to go into that right now. open a whole can of worms. I don't want to process right now or, or have to deal with the, the amount of um, emails of people requesting help and stuff. It's just, I'm not going to go there yet. And I'm going to have to pray and figure out how to unfold that and unpack it to you people, how we deal with the um, the occult stuff. But that's just a general idea. And like I said, if, the, if you do step into the occult, start looking for ministries like ours that, that deal with it. And I only really work out in Northern California because I don't have the money to travel, right? <laughs> this small ministry, you live paycheck to paycheck. So, but if we're starting to see things like on ghost adventures where almost night after night, everything is about Zach going to some um, satanic ritual and opening portals up and opening stuff up. Guess what's coming through? We're, we're having rituals. We're having satanic angels coming through and these people are calling them. Go look at second Timothy three, right? You know, as was the time with Janice and Jambries. you know, that we're talking about the pharaohs, sorcerers, and how how power they were. We're starting to see this with people. You know, it's coming on TV. So just be aware. Don't rush in. Always pray first if you're to be involved with this. Or pray for direction. If you're the only person on hand, you know, God's going to teach you how to be a surgeon, or God's going to teach you how to be a warrior. But do it through him and do it through his bidding only. Otherwise, say, nope, I'm not doing this. You know, it's, that's spiritual maturity. And he may have you back off for a couple of weeks and pray through it first. You don't have to give the person an answer right away pray to Jesus and have the, the spirits be bound and stuff and do all your action through Jesus and not go into warfare let God fight the fight for you. Just pray to Jesus, you know, petition to help me with this. That's all you got to do in these, these, um, these situations. That's the basics of it. <laughs> they will tell you these things to be dragged out, man. So I'm telling you not get involved with these things unless you're a ministry team that can handle it because it will destroy you. It'll destroy your cars. It'll destroy your budget. It'll destroy relationships. Um, it'll clean out your bank account just because it can. In weird ways, um, so yeah. Again, no weapon formed against you will will prosper. So, if your bank account gets cleaned out, yeah, Jesus um, works on provision, but you know it's 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 hard to deal with there. It's a really hard knock life with that. So, like I said, just if you deal with satanic angels, my avoid them at all costs. Just pass them off, pass them off to a Roman Catholic exorcist or something like that. Let them deal with them. Like I said, there's we deal with it here because God put me in that ministry, but that's. That's It is what it is. I only do mine as God leads me into. I get lots of people asking for help. Why won't you help me? Because God told me no. You know, something else is going on. He didn't tell me what it was. But if God tells me no, I don't step into this stuff. So let's go on to the last one. Discerning of demons. Okay, again, these are guys are not in the second heaven. They're on earth. They're the grant soldiers. The lowest of the low of the fallen angels. So Jesus gave us authority over the snakes and scorpions. That's these guys, right? We have authority over them. I've developed most of my discernment about demons, mainly through night strike and ha- homeless ministry. Um, the more I, I spent a lot of time in homeless ministry over a couple of years, you know, God was just showing me stuff. When a, a person was about to manifest, I could feel it in my head. I could feel it in my chest. I just There was like early warning signs in your body um, through discernment that something was about to happen. And it's just, that's what you listen to. You listen to your body and what the Holy Spirit's telling you is you have this weird gut feeling, like it feels queasy. Um, do you have this, this weird pressure in your head? Do you have, you know, things like that? How about you? A lot of times I feel pressure in my chest, especially if I'm doing a deliverance ministry in an office before a manifestation takes place. You know, that's how I detect if there's demons present or not. No, no, nothing's here. Usually nothing manifests, but, um, I'll get an early warning system when I feel pressure in my chest, like, oh, something's manifesting. You know, it's, it's, it's stuff like that. You'll feel it. It's pretty much a lot of the ways you feel most of this stuff. It just it just comes up, you know, and it's when you feel its presence, it's presence. And you need to feel like these things, too, like the, a lot of times, too, we talked about with um, the devil and Karen Kingston, where the demon goes, I'm gone, I'm taking all my stuff with me, and they lie. Because then you go, well, why am I still feeling pressure on my chest? Or why am I still having the sense from the Holy Spirit that you're lying? You know, it's stuff like that. you got to just work in the supernatural. And it, it, Like I said, it, it's caught, not taught. The more you do this stuff, the more you um, start learning it, and if you're diving this stuff, learning discernment, the best thing I do is f- go with a person that knows what they're doing, not something that boasts a lot like, oh, I see demons, I do this and do that, and I'll show you too. Don't go down that road. Find somebody that's stable in prayer life and just they don't really don't care about deliverance. Actually, a person, That's the best person to find. The person doesn't want to care about deliverance, but they're very spiritual. They go, oh, wow, can you feel that? You know, stuff like that. That's the person to kind of like help train you through discernment. Times two, how my wife and I trained early on was we liked remodeling homes so we started going through open houses in our neighborhood and it was amazing how discernment would click on and off. It was like a discernment test. You know, I'd walk through the entire house, go, oh my gosh, there's somebody here with the spirit of addiction. You can feel it. You know, it was a good way to develop stuff. Do house blessings. A lot of times there's nothing present in a house blessing. It's just... Even Christians, I get mad when Christians tell me, a psychic told me there was something in my house. I go, wait a minute, you're a Christian. Why are you talking to a psychic? You know, you go in their house and there's nothing there. It just, it's it scared the person out of their wits. If there's something there, we'll feel it. But we have lots of times. I've been in the hauntings where, wow, there it is. You just detect on it. So just walk through the house and discern what there is. During one such um, incident, I remember one time, what I did detect, it wasn't a haunting. We went to this young girl's bathroom. You know, it was part of the family. And I had this overwhelming sense, and like, I just walked in like this putrid smell of diarrhea, which is nasty and bile-smelling, but it wasn't really there. And I go, "Oh my God!" So Jesus, what is this? And He told me it was a spirit of, of bulimia. The girl has a spirit of bulimia, so we prayed over her and delivered her from that. You know, it's 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 stuff like that. You know, you pick up on, and it's just there's no manual for this. You know, there's no it doesn't list in the, the book on how to root demons out how to discern. You have to be present in the environment and doing the ministry of Jesus Christ. Without wanting to contact spirits, you're not there. You're there to drive them out. You're there to expel them. So there's different ways you'll experience demons. You know, if you step into an occult situation that's demonic, and witchcraft is being thrown at you, you usually get like these weird migraine headaches in the back of your head. They 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 light up so quick. Like you didn't have a headache all day. You're praying through a room and you sense like there's something strong or bad there. You get this really bad migraine. That's the witchcraft in the room throwing its junk on you, throwing its mojo. It's another way to discern it. And those go away after a few hours, but you got to shut down the witchcraft, right? Authority Jesus Christ I shut down this witchcraft, command you to go. So I hope this sheds a little bit light on what you're doing. You have to get out there and do this. It's not, you know, it's like, it's like going to the gym, right? You're not going to lose weight by not going to the gym or start your, um, you know, caloric intake. You have to go do something about this. So if you want to learn discernment, like I said, the best place to go is start walking through homes. Felt nothing here, felt nothing here, you know, all day long. Wow, I feel something, you know? The other thing too is sometimes like I'm <laughs> when I was doing night strike, these little psychic shops would always open up. Right when I was about to turn a corner, I go, wow, I feel a psychic shop shop coming. And people with me would laugh, right? And we turn a corner So start off, there's a new psychic shop. you just feel the weird oppression coming out of that place, you know? So once you get your antennas tuned to it, you'll just start feeling it. It's just it just takes time and just work with the Holy Spirit. Like, what do I need to do with this? So let's do conclusions on discerning evangelic angelic spirits. The first thing I want to talk about too is ministers who claim to see demons. You know, have you been to these deliverance ministries? Whoa, come over here. I see a, uh, I see a snake around your waist. You know, like the Kundalini spirit. Yeah, there probably is one, but you know, it's they didn't see it. I call these people fake it till you make it. And I really wish they'd stop. They really need to stop because they're not seeing it. They heard about it and they, they learned like somebody else saw it. So it's kind of like a this um, wives' tale bad recommendation that passes down from deliverance minister or deliverance minister and they're not seeing anything. What happens too is I've had people come to me afterwards going, and I saw him do this. I want you to pray for me while I'm seeing spirits. I'm not seeing them like this person is like, I want you the guy just saying that somebody else had a snake around their waist. or you know, wrap around their spine. Why are you saying this stuff? You know? So don't trust them. A lot of times too, what I really am annoyed about these people is a lot of people with DID, dissociative identity disorder, go to these um, deliverance meetings because they think the deliverance is a quick fix. They want to believe that their dissociation, their, their trauma from human life is actually a demonic manifestation, and it's not. And you get one well, of these fake it till you make it bozos that convinces them they saw a spirit on them. And these these dissociated parts are like four years old. They're freaking out. It takes me like several sessions to undo what these morons did to them. And I'm using those strong words there because that's what you are. You have no idea what you're doing to promote your ministry and you're hurting people. So I'm just going to leave it at that. So it's just lies ministers can be tainted, you know. So the other thing I want to bring up too is we spoke about discerning angelic spirits. I have worked with people doing occult battles who claim, oh, my angels are going before me. That is so dangerous. So, so dangerous. You don't pray to have your angels go before you do warring. All you do, it's I call it the lazy ministry, is you work with the person to get the presence of the, the Jesus, Jesus Christ or Holy Spirit in them. And you let Jesus do the work in driving out um, anything that's in there because these are human parts, right? It's going to be different. A lot of times, there's um, in the occult stuff, the, these human souls and spirits were violated, right? Violently violated to create these parts. So it's not a deliverance matter, you know. And so you don't send your angels in there because what did this satanic angels did this to them? they were in rituals where satanic angels um, divided up their minds. So when a person comes in, and goes, "Oh, I'm having my angel go before me," and I, you know, it's I'll stop working with these people who worked with these 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 um, people who've done stuff like this. I'll sit down in a session immediately a person will go, oh, my angel's here to protect me. And I go, nope. mm -mm. If I can't get him for an hour to stop it and turn on to Jesus, I'm not going to work with him. And I've done that. I've tossed people out for that because you have to work with Jesus. This whole multi-level demonic angel thing is horrible. I also know a story because I heard it from Graham Cook one time several years back that a woman was using her angel for deliverance. And they noticed, I don't know if it was a friend of Graham Cook or how he delivered this, but he was talking about she was a very powerful deliverance minister and developed a very powerful deliverance ministry. And everybody knew her angels were doing the deliverance. And one time, one of her assistants went into her office to talk with her. And there was something off about this deliverance minister. he we went to talk with her and she said that the, the, the angel had possessed her in the office and was talking to her. It was a really weird experience and they, they drove it out. But it was one of the examples where you don't let angels do work in any of this, right? We don't command angels. We don't partner with angels. It's super dangerous. You let Jesus do all the work. If you're dealing with the occult, you must establish who the true Jesus is, because false Jesus was used during the occult rituals, and that's probably another topic of a uh, tales of glory. This is what it is, guys. It's it's that's how I want to conclude with the um, the the um, you know, these, these angelic spirits. You have the good guys who they're just going to do what they want to do because God sent them, and they're going to do God's will and bidding. You have the satanic angels who we. Stay away from unless we're trained or we've been advised by God to go engage them. And that's a very special thing. No, you weren't called into this. No, no, no. I'd be like, I was called into this. And you hear me say this all the time, right? I hear this people, oh my God, no. You have no idea. It's just, you got to be, God had to push you into this, not called into this. So it's just, yeah, be careful of that. All righty. So I'm going to wrap up my um, section here with the discerning of angelic spirits. As I mentioned at the start of the show, there's so much information on spiritual discernment. I thought I was going to wrap a lot of it up in, in one hour show, but I went quite a bit over with this one. Anyhow, that's it for tonight's show. This was Tales of Glory. I hope you enjoyed our Tales of uh, Encounters with God and Mystical Experiences. And this is, show is copyright Michael Norton, 2019. And if you guys would like to just uh, help us out and keep the M16 bunker lights alive and us producing more information, feel free to go to a field guide to spiritualwarfare.blogspot.com and just tap on that uh, that PayPal button to help us out. Also, our books are available there. I go more in depth about spiritual discernment and about um, how to deal with manifestations, specifically in our books, the Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare series books. Take a look at them. Again, out of fieldguidedspiritualwarfare.blogspot.com. Thank you guys so much, and thank you for listening. God bless. Until we on air again.